Uh, at this point, I'd invite you to uh, grab a copy of God's Word that is hopefully there right in the aisle with you or you brought with you this morning and turn to Galatians 2. Uh, we will be in verses 11 through 21. And as you're turning there, uh, I'll give a little introduction about myself. I know mo many or most of you know who I am, but my name is Billy Hastings, and I am under care of this church, and I am licensed by our presbytery to preach uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so one day hope to be ordained. Uh, I work at City Union Mission, and I'm the manager of community assistance and engagement. So I work with clients who are not homeless, but people who have been deemed at risk of becoming hope, uh, homeless. And so we strive as a department, as, as a mission, to make sure that people have resources and opportunities to meet their daily needs, but more importantly, we meet them with the love and hope found in Jesus Christ. And so that is what I do, I'm a seminary graduate, um, and where I'm at for you here today. So I'm giving uh, Pastor Aaron a break here today, and it's a joy to, to get to preach to you. So hopefully you have found in your Bibles Galatians 2. Please read with me. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their contact, conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth, and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also, ha also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because the works of the law, by works of the law, no one will be justified. But in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This concludes the reading of the word. Please pray with me. Father God, we pray that you would come and illumine our hearts and our minds through your scriptures, through the preaching and teaching of your word this morning, that we would come alive because of the spirit that lives within us, that you would work mightily in each and every one of us. We pray this in and through your name. Amen. So let me start with a question. 
What are you needing freedom from? Where are you struggling in your life to see that you're actually free? Are there places, or where are there places, better put, in your life that you're trusting in your own strength, your pride, fear of people, or living and operating from a place of shame for your daily decisions? Now, this question, these questions are big questions. And the truth of the Bible is that from Genesis to Revelation, we are given an answer for these questions, for hope, for us to find freedom in our lives. We must look to scriptures. The deepest longings of your heart and mind are found in this book. The gospel certainly gives freedom where we think freedom cannot reach. The work of God is done. It has been accomplished for you on the cross. Now here, I want to get, take a little bit here in Galatians. A little time to walk through this fact. For I think what we're seeing actually here in Galatians is, is another story to the church at we're hearing a story of a past event to the church at Antioch given to the Galatian people about what it is that others have struggled with and to give them freedom and us freedom as well for when we struggle. Now, as I've said before, this was written around 50 AD. It was probably written a couple years before or after the Jerusalem Council. But the real key thing here is the book of Galatians is to help us, to help the Galatians, to help each and every one of you realize that it is by faith alone that you are saved. For you to, to, when you ask the question, can I live by works, to realize that by faith alone, through Christ alone, you have been saved. Now, our book, as we, we've gone through, for those who, uh, this is your first time hearing me preach, or, or it's been a while, it's been a couple of months, we, we've been walking through the book of Galatians, and Galatians starts with an introduction, and, and, and Paul comes out hot. He comes out basically saying, oh, foolish Galatians, and, and he comes out with this introduction that's a plea, and has a strong, strong underpinning of truth, basically from the get-go. And then from there, in chapter 2, he walks through two examples. He walks through uh, the church at Jerusalem and a story that he gives uh, of, of, of a confrontation there that we walked through last time that I preached. And this time we will walk through uh, a second example, a second story of that of Antioch. And so that is where we find ourselves. And I, I, I hopefully will get to preach and continue on and continue through chapter 3 in future, future times together. But I want you to see, ultimately, there's something here for all of us. My hope is that you will see that God has ultimately finished the work of saving you. That you're not going to add anything to your salvation. That true freedom can and is found in Jesus. Now, related to this, there are three realities which you will see concerning the promise of God securing your salvation. These are listed in your bulletins. These are our three points for this morning. 
But remember again, I want you to hear and consider this as we walk through the, the, the second half of Galatians 2. That my hope and purpose is that you remember that God has finished the work of saving you. That you add nothing to your salvation by working harder to earn it. That you cannot lose it. You truly, totally are free of yourself because of Christ's work. And working harder, in fact, will not save you. In, in reality, the opposite reality is you're going to be in trouble if you find yourself trusting in your good works. With that said, let's, let's, let's get into our text. Let's try to embrace this vision a little bit more clearly. I want you to see our first reality, which is written before you, that our first reality is that we do not return to our prior lives no matter what the culture dictates. Our first reality is that we do not return to our prior lives no matter what the culture dictates. Now we're going to see this in verses 11 through 14, and I have a, a pretty big chunk that I've selected, and I could have taken a, a smaller chunk, and I certainly could spend all morning, I could, I could spend all afternoon, actually, if, if you all wouldn't fall asleep, and just preach verses 11 through 14. But verses 11 through 14 fall in the bigger context of Galatians. So we have to look at Galatians cohesively, collectively as a whole. And so if we look only at this example and we forget what follows after he's given these two examples of Jerusalem and Antioch, it's important for us to see the whole tied together, the whole of the parts. So with that being said, let's look at verse 11. See here that Paul is opposing Peter to his face. And he says right away, he stands condemned. And he's trying to capitulate to what is in front of him. With leaders and culture and the things that are around him. Now I want you to see several questions regarding this section. I'm going to ask these and, and, and hopefully I'll answer them sufficiently to you. And, and if not, you can spend time throughout this week studying and considering these, considering these questions as well. First, what is different between Jerusalem and Antioch? Second, what is Peter condemned for? And third, what is his underarching motivation for operating this way? So regarding that first question of, of, of what's similar or what's different, Jerusalem and Antioch, a lot is similar, but a lot is different. Jerusalem was primarily Jewish Christians, those who had come to faith and believed, but we see that here in Antioch, it's actually largely Gentiles. So many people say that the, the, the theme here and what is actually going on is all throughout the book of Galatians is the, the issue of circumcision. And you certainly see that here, but I think there's more at stake. And actually this section of our text today, I believe, gives us an example of a little bit more than just circumcision. I believe what we're seeing here with the church at Antioch and what he is talking about from something, an event that was about 20 years before, or not, not even that, but he, he goes through and he says, Ultimately, that this, this church at Antioch, uh, there, there's dietary things. And if you, if you look, you can see this here in these couple of verses that we're looking at. They're, ish, they're dealing with issues of dietary restrictions. And Paul points out here, the writer of Galatians, he, Paul points out that Peter has now lived as a Gentile in verse 14. And he actually says in verse 12 that Peter was actually eating with Gentiles. 
Now the big issue here, and I think that we have covered extensively, but it must be said again and it's continued, is, is what is the gospel? The foundational clarity of the gospel is really at stake. Are there things that need to be added to the gospel? And Paul is saying right here that actually Peter, the, you know, the, one of the, the apostles himself, that he is a man who is standing condemned because he's forsaking the truths of the gospel. He's condemned for adding something to the gospel. That in, in, in all likelihood, what he's doing is he's capitulating to the leaders and those who are there, and he's saying, I'm returning to these dietary restrictions that we lived under as Jews. And in and with that, it says here, too, that other Jews are being led astray, that they're being called hypocrites. Even Barnabas. And for Barnabas, for context, I think it's important for us to remember and consider who Barnabas was. Because Barnabas, elsewhere in scriptures and elsewhere throughout, uh, throughout God's book, is considered and told that he is, uh, he's a good man, that he's full of faith, that he's, he's full of the spirit. Acts 11, I believe it is, tells us. But what we see here, though, in the original context, is that there is a struggle in view of light of what Christ has finished, and I think brings and must be brought into our world today. We can and will be led aside by false gospels if and when we are looking to that which is temporal, that which is in front of us, in front of our eyes, and the things that society dictates and tells us are important. And I think even with this, we have to answer the question. Our third question is, is what is Peter condemned for? And, and as we see this, that he was led astray, I think that we're also seeing from that, this place that he is being condemned because he's adding to it, but we're seeing an underarching motivation for, for Peter. And look at it, you actually see it here in the text, look. It says that he's, a, he's living by fear of what, of what they, the others say. He drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. He was fearing the circumcision party, that of the Jews, that of the Jewish leaders there of that day. So we wouldn't think of it, but really in this spot, right in this place, Peter, the apostle Peter, Cephas, is operating from a spirit and a place of fear, fear of man. So this circumcision party here is what is truly causing Peter to ultimately fear. I think in and with that, we can find ourselves saying, okay, well, are there places that perhaps we are fearing? And if, if, if Peter, one of these great, great saints who has gone before us, has had fear, has denied Christ three times, as we saw at the, at the end of the gospel accounts. Don't you think that our own hearts will betray us if and when we trust only and operate from the fear of others, from the fear, the shame that lives within our hearts? We might find ourselves considering the weight of a coworker, a friend, a classmate, a teacher, a parent, 
a sibling. Or it could be any other host of things or any other places in our lives that we're operating from a place of trying to please somebody rather than trying to please the master who has gone before us, who has laid down his sinless and perfect life. When we operate from that place of fear, we're forgetting the purchased and perfect reality of the blood of Jesus upon the cross for those who by faith believe. Now remember, we will be tempted to look to the world and the realities of our lives. And sometimes those things can grip us in heart-wrenching ways. And there may be some of those in this room this morning that are feeling some of those things. But take hope and stock in the gospel of Jesus Christ for in it, he has overcome your fears and he has freed you from everything. Now, this is our, our first reality here in these first three verses. And I, I, I'm going to spend the bulk of our time and, and the rest of our time and our other two realities. Now, our second reality ultimately is this, that we're not saved by the law. We are saved by faith alone. We are saved by faith alone. Now, now many of you, if you're... you're, you're good church folk, or even if you're not, I, I, I want to unfold that. That second reality is one of the, the, the five solas of the Reformation that has been etched out firmly from the 1500s onward. It actually goes back to about the second or third century. You can easily see this. You see this throughout sermons and preachings and teachings all throughout church history that we are saved by faith alone. One of these five solas that I said, you know, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by the work of Christ alone, according to what is written in scripture alone, all to the glory of God alone. Now this second sola that we're going to see as a reality today certainly is a reality from Galatians 2. It's unpacked with beautiful certainty and there's a chain of logic which I think it's really important for us to walk through. Now, now remember, as I already said, this, this stretch of landscape, this stretch of text relates back to the text that immediately comes before and the text which comes after it. So if we look at it only in it, in its, on its own, which we certainly can, there's a lot of meat here that we could look at it just by, on its own, we would be able to see that it is by faith alone. For What this really looks like to me, though, is you see that Paul is arguing like a lawyer. And, and, and Paul, for those who don't know, he was very learned. He was a highly educated man. He had all the right pedigree and education. As I've mentioned, I think in the past... And he is going through these two examples of things that he has witnessed... But he is remembering and looking to the confirmation that he knew to be true, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, the one who he has encountered on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, the reality that Jesus has come and met his needs, and that there is nothing that he could add, that you could add, to the gospel by working harder. And Actually, Galatians says it right here. We ourselves are Jews by birth. We're not Gentile sinners. Now, okay, now all he means when he's saying Gentile sinners is people who were Gentiles were not people who were keeping the law. And, and it was a common phrase. It was a phrase that would have appeared elsewhere, keeping the, the Jewish laws, Gentile sinners. So he's saying that they ultimately did not observe the laws. Then he goes on. He says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. He's stating, and he's clearly laying it out, salvation is truly by faith alone. It is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And actually, he's, he's, he states two truths that we see all over scriptures as well. 
that we're saved by faith alone, and it is by Christ Jesus alone that a person is ultimately saved. When we try to work out our salvation by adding something to it, we'll stand condemned if and when we do not look to the, the righteous judge, the one who has paid with sinless blood. Now, and I, I, it, there's a road, a road of the Christian life. And I think about it often, I, I talk about it often, that on one ditch you find yourself with legalism. And, and, and frankly, in the other side of the road, and across this, this very narrow road, we see, see the, the place of, of antinomianism, or, or that of, of really cheap, un, a free grace. Yes, the grace of God is unlimited, but we do not boldly continue to sin, and continue to sin, because God's grace is unlimited. We have to be wary of both sides of this road. And right in the middle is clinging to the reality that we are to walk out our salvation. That we are to have good works and fruit. Because we want to be people who look like Jesus. We run from legalism of the law. But we also run from the other side as well. Sometimes we are people who forget by our actions that Christ really did die for the sin that's in your mind right now that you're wondering and thinking about. The anxiety that is there. The fears or stresses or things that are here for your upcoming week, whether by your own hand or by somebody else's hand against you. He died for that. He's purchased eternity, a sinless eternity, for you. We are truly justified by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We walk free of our own stories. We walk free in the gospel truth, the big gospel of Jesus Christ. Now it's really important that you hear this. We do not return to those things that we've previously torn down. And the Galatian church is guilty of this. And each of us, as I've laid out here this morning, are guilty of this. That we return to the places uh, from our past that we've torn down. We try to add things, in a way, to salvation. We know that it is his work that has saved us. But where and in what ways are your actions looking different than that? Where and in what ways are we forgetting that these things have truly been torn down. Forgetting that we have been given a king and his kingdom. And it's far better than any kingdom that you can ever build on this earth over the next 10 or 50 or 100 years. And it even says this here in the end that, that in some way, I, I really think we see this here in verse 21, that you will try in some way to nullify your heart will try to nullify this finished work that he's given. So live in that tension. Consider this reality. That Jesus Christ has justified you and you don't get to try and add something more to the good and complete and finished work of Jesus and the gospel that he has given for you. That tension of returning to the old law and adding requirements 
from your own hearts or certainly requirements the society is compelling and trying to plead that we should or could do. With things that they might say, okay, well, you're out antiquated, you're out of date. They might say that we are hateful, that we are unloving. But they say those based upon their preconceived notions. People say those based upon what it is that in front of them. And I'm sure in some ways, Cephas, Paul, was going through this as he was looking at and seeing those people who were around him and saying, oh yeah, we have to keep these things. We have to keep these dietary restrictions. We have to, to return to these things. And as he, re as he was feeling that weight, and as he was looking to these things here in this passage, as he was talking about with Antioch, he's actually standing condemned because he's returning and trying to do and add things to it and actually leading other people astray. But here in verse 20, see this. We live by faith in the power of Christ because there's some very, very good news here. For look, we live in the flesh, yes, but, the, but by the flesh we are living is by faith in the Son of God. So why would we live in our own flesh if we have been given a new creation? If we have been made new, by the Son of God. Well, regarding this, I think it's important that you need to see this, that there are two truths that are true then and true for you today. They're true about Paul and what he was saying, but you must hear this for yourself as well. Two truths right here. One, that God loved me, that loved Paul, that he loves you personally. Look at the second part there. And he gave himself for me. How foolish can we be? How foolish were the Galatians to try to be living in a spirit, in a place, and operating from a different theology, a different reality than the sinless God of this world having purchased eternity? That he did so for those two reasons. Out of love, and then he gave himself for it. Now, the, the argument is truly complex, and I hope that I'm making it a little more accessible today. Paul continues to hit this same note, and I'm hitting this same note as well, that we're seeing that it's all about the gospel. It's foundational to the truth of the gospel. As he's writing under the Holy Spirit's inspiration and, and, and these holy and errant pages that we see, you must see that there's nothing that you can do, that there are no works that you bring of your own hand. So look at this, verse 21. I'm going to read it for you. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Now we're seeing here that Paul is saying that things... Actually, it's a little choppy, so I'm going to unpack it a little bit. I, I find that the Greek to English, when we put it in... in, in the cohesive, just direct in order, it feels a little choppy. So cue the usual music. Paul, Paul's a little choppy. He's wordy. He's verbose. So look at it this way. When you, when you look at it actually in the Greek, I think it's more clear if you say it this way. The, 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 the second and third clause should read together. If righteousness were through the law, well, that is, if, if I could perfectly keep the law or earn my salvation in any way, 
And here's what it says. Christ died for no purpose. Now, God cannot and does not stand close to those who are operating and, and, and working from their own strength. The psalmist even tells that. that he, he says, you know, Lord, help me go from your strength to your strength. We must see this, and we see this all over scriptures. We certainly see this in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, that we, we serve a God who is, is immutable. We, we talked about that this morning. Uh, in the Shorter Catechism, uh, question four, I believe it is, it says, what is God? Uh, that God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, and his being and his wisdom, his power, his holiness, his justice, goodness, and truth. That is, he's immutable, he's unchangeable, that that means that he has been consistent, that he has always been loving. And you can go through and you can look at it and see all the scripture proofs that the Westminster Divines laid out from, for you from that place, for, for us, to help us in our walks, to walk in that freedom. For God cannot and will not capitulate to us. For as it says, if righteousness were through the law or us keeping the law perfectly, Christ died for no purpose. He died because you could not perfectly keep the righteous law. That is his reason for going. He went to the cross because sinlessness had to be given for your sin. For your fears, for your anxiety, for the places that you struggle to see that you're free. He went to the cross for that. We don't get to add to the standards of what God has from eternity past written and said. We don't reinvent these things. We don't say, hey, well, in 2021, everybody's so woke. We need to say, this looks different. No. No. If anything, everybody is woke to a nightmare. They are not living in true freedom. They are not rooting themselves in a place of hope, of life, of eternity. Of his standards. Now adding to the standards, the perfect laws, and returning to the things before Christ. The things that were before you were part of the covenant family of God. The things that, in this case... Gentiles or, or Jews would have been trying to keep, or in this case, Gentiles who were looking at dietary restrictions of the law. In other places, we see that those things can be kept in some ways. And, you know, for the weaker brother and for those who are struggling in those places, okay, defer to them. That's okay. But at the same time, do not heap requirements, new requirements of the law that are not in accordance with his law. This is what we've laid out all throughout Galatians. This is what Paul is ultimately laying out over and over again throughout the book of Galatians. There's a lot packed in here. There's a lot packed here into these three very powerful realities. That first, ultimately, our works do condemn us, just like the church at Antioch. Just like Peter. And second, that we are saved by faith alone. But third, 
Third, praise God. We have been justified in Christ Jesus alone. Friends, that's the gospel. That's what we've been laying out all throughout Galatians. That's what Pastor Aaron's been laying out all over Genesis. These gospel foundations that God from eternity passed into until his return again. Of what we're looking for in his return. The promise is certain for those who by faith believe. It cannot be taken. The work is done. There's not something that you can do. So a couple points of application. A couple things I want you to see from this text. Now, however good or however bad you are, you will still can't stand condemned if you don't have a mediator. Think about that. If you're good or if you're bad, wherever you find yourself on that spectrum, looking into your own minds and considering your own heart, your own righteousness, it doesn't even come close to the righteousness of a perfect, sinless God. It can't come close. So what are areas in your life that are making you anxious? Where are those areas that you're struggling to do well enough? That you're forgetting and condemning yourself and not remembering that you are no longer condemned. So fight with all that you have in your mind and your heart and turn. I beg of you to turn and turn and see your Savior. That he is there, that he has pursued you relentlessly, that he has given you salvation. It's not something that you can, that can lose. That he put me in a covenant family before I was formed in my mother's womb. That each of you have that invitation of being in the covenant family from eternity past. This was his plan. He went to the cross for this sin, this anxiety, this anxiousness. Now, a second point of application that I, I hope that you see here, and I want you to consider and see this regarding your salvation, is this. By application that you would delight in the joy of your salvation. That you would read through the scriptures or a passage this week and see that you are not condemned. That you cannot add anything to the law. For that would be nullifying the work of Christ Jesus upon the cross. So those places and, and areas in your life that you're standing condemned in your own mind, remember you're free. That there is actual freedom that has been purchased Because of that, you can rejoice. You can delight in the joy of your salvation. You can feast on the truths of his word. You can trust in his promises, just like Paul said in Romans, that by the will of God, who in his mercy he saved you, there is great comfort in that. There is great joy in that. So whether you've been trusting your whole life, or whether the, the, the Spirit of God is working today and bringing freedom in your world for the very first time, turn to Jesus. Give over your anxious thoughts, your fears, the places that you do not believe that he sees or knows or cannot reach and realize that he's already reached there. 
He's already bought those places. Christ did not die because we could ever keep the law perfectly, verse 21. But he died as the perfect law keeper for you and me. That was his purpose in his death for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, this morning, would you help us? We are lost without the saving work of Jesus. Help us to see this morning, really, that we are free, not of any work of our own hand, but because of the ultimate sacrifice for us, that is Christ Jesus, would you draw closer to us? Would you draw us to yourself through his finished work? It is for the sake of your glory and your name to shine forth on this earth that we ask. Would you put the truths of your word of Galatians 2, not the meditations of my heart these last few weeks, but the truths of your word deeper within us, deeper within your people here at Christ the Redeemer. Father, it is in your name that we pray. Amen.